Golden Spiral Media presents Dark Matter, a fan podcast dedicated to Extant on CBS. Each week, Mike and Dave explore the mysteries, characters, and drama that unfold on Extant, and they want to hear from you too. Send in your thoughts by calling 304-837-2278 or visiting goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. Now, here are your hosts, Mike and Dave. Hello, we're glad you could join us for this installment of Dark Matter, an extant podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number four, where we'll be talking about season one, episode four, the CBS summer event series, Extant. This episode is entitled Shelter, and it aired July 30th, 2014. And this installment was written by showrunner Greg Walker, and it was directed by Paris Barkley, a a very well-known director. He's actually the director's Guild of America president. And uh, it was great to see uh, such a great team up for the fourth episode, which it's unusual for the showrunner to get involved in anything other than the premiere and the uh, finale, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. At least that's what we're used to. But as everyone knows by now, one big element of show news is that Extant has been changed in its time slot from 9 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern. And it's a big question as to whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. What do you think, Dave? Well, for me personally, it makes no difference, obviously, because I time shift virtually everything. Um, it, you know, it's hard for me to really say because, uh, you know, my schedule, I, I, I don't stay up past nine. <laughs> yeah. But in general, whether or not it's trying to avoid the competition could be a good thing. But at the same time, it's usually a sign of weakness and people pounce on that, especially the people who follow television online. They start to sound the death knell sometimes. Yeah. And look, we've been doing this long enough. That is podcasting about television that just when you think you have a handle on how things work and that you can make certain predictions based on past performances, something else comes along that just throws everything you thought you knew out the window. And not to mention, I think the more we work in in the podcasting world, you realize people really don't know. (laughs) Right. It's like weathermen trying to predict the weather. Yeah, like some critics you're going to bring up. Yes. In fact, I'm just painting with a very broad paintbrush here and talking about the fact that I'm noticing two types of people who are being critical of this show. Uh, And I'm talking about actual TV reviewers. And there's those that talk about the pace being too slow. And we've mentioned this, Dave, how we don't really understand these folks. Uh, And I think what it is is... They're not talking about the pace of the show, although some people actually will come right out and say, I want to know what the deal is with Molly's baby. And it's like, it's the fourth episode, people. But what they're really talking about is something that the AV Club brought up. And AV Club usually has some really good reviews. And they talk about the fact that the show seems to be missing an emotional heart. And I thought, okay. I guess I see what they're talking about with that. So I started to think about what is it that they're talking about? Because the pacing is slow sometimes with the emotional scenes, and maybe that's what they're referring to. But then when I think of it further, and Dave, you probably agree with me on this, there is no chemistry between the, the characters because there's very little chemistry 
in the story for those characters. That's correct. And we said that at the beginning about Molly and John. And you, if you could break, take it person by person, obviously uh, Ethan being a robot is a factor and Julie having her resentments is a factor. And obviously in this episode, we see some tension between Molly and her father. So there's very little to bond these characters together. Even Molly and John who have some tender moments, obviously they have problems in their marriage. So I feel like the critics aren't giving the show a fair shake after only four episodes and talking about the pacing when I really think what they're talking about is this lack of chemistry between the characters. And on top of what we just talked about, there's also a lot of that where it builds over time with a cast. You know, they start to work well together after a period of time. So I think people need to just calm down and let the show develop and enjoy the exciting action moments. Don't you agree? Well, I do. And, and, and you were right that I do agree with you. And, and by agreeing with you, I, I pretty much disagree with everything that, that you just brought up, you know, not your ideas, but the lack of heart, so to speak. You know, I, I think on the one hand, look at who we're dealing with. We are dealing with scientists. Again, I don't want to paint with a broad brush and say that, you know, science is cold and unfeeling. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but I mean, to a certain extent, that's how these people are. That's the world they live in and that's the world they, they work in. So it's to be expected. I mean, now you mentioned John and Molly's relationship, and obviously that's got problems that it probably had from day one because of uh, Marcus's death. But, I think in episode four, I think we take a big turn in that direction, especially with Molly and Ethan. And we'll talk about that later tonight. Yep. It's something that is central to the drama of the show, that, that tension between the characters. So, but there are a lot of hardcore fans out there and really had some great fun on the live tweet, which is very difficult to participate in for this show. It's very fast paced. But what was great was there was a fan out there whose name is Faith Singleton, and I want to give her a shout out because she coined the show fan terms. You know, in Continuum, I don't know if you know this, Dave, they call us the Num Nuts, N-U-U-M Nuts. And then, of course, for Orphan Black, there's the Clone Club, right? Okay. And they use it as a hashtag on Twitter. Well, for Extant, the official term, which has been accepted by Mickey Fisher and Sergio Harford, who are active on Twitter, is the Viewmanics. What do you think? <laughs> I like I like it. I saw the Facebook page. Yeah, they have a Facebook page and everything. Yeah, awesome. So uh, thank you, Faith, for coming up with that. Really great. And also part of that live tweet, got an answer to a question. Uh, he was answering question, fan questions again, and I squeezed one through, which is actually very central to our discussion. And I'm glad Mickey was able to answer this. And that is... The Where the hell are we? <laughs> exactly. Because it's indeterminate. And let me just read to you what... He answered to me when I asked him, where do Molly and John live and where does Quinn live? He says that Molly and John live in a fictional city on the Northern California coast, something that sprang up around tech and space companies. So it's something new for the future. Then he added a second tweet and said, Quinn lives on an island not far off the coast, similar to Catalina Island for Los Angeles. So Vaspar Island is is just off the coast of where Molly and John live. All right. So that's good. That's a good place to uh, center ourselves on, I guess you could say. Yeah. All right. Now, you know, we've been talking about criticism from you know, different uh, outlets. The ratings dropped a little bit, 5.9 million viewers. And I don't know, you know, I, I guess, again, we've done this long enough to know that 
with this kind of show, you almost know the numbers are going to go down. And are they good enough so that we don't need to worry? Yeah, I think they are. I think they are. I think they're right on the threshold. But the 1.1 rating is the same. That's in the key 18 to 49 demographic is the same as what they got last week. So I think we're holding steady. They changed. So they did, they don't have the big brother lead in like they did before, but it's out of the way of America's Got Talent. And Big Brother and America's Got Talent took the first, second, and third place spots uh, ahead of um, Extant, which was still fourth place. Right. And as you, as you mentioned last week, the numbers we're throwing out there are the next day numbers. Right. So we don't have any of the time shifted numbers, which again, we know from experience that there's going to be a huge oh, yeah. increase. Extant has built almost 30% off of plus seven numbers. So Right. And then, like you said, I think it's certainly developing a really rabid fan base. And look, uh, we've said many times, genre fans, sci-fi fans in particular, we're, we're a hard bunch. And, and you know, <laughs> you, you, you have to do a lot to impress us. And I think for the most part, we've been duly impressed. Yeah. Dave and I aren't just cheerleading for the show because we happen to be doing a podcast. We genuinely like it. <laughs> right? Yes, Absolutely. So let's get into our Dark Matters episode discussion. All right. Well, you know, Mike, last week we were kind of left unsure about John's motives, right? I mean, she jumps out of uh, Sparks' car at uh, Sam's urging. And as she's running down the street in the middle of the night, here comes John in his car. and. We don't really know whether he's good or bad at this point. I mean, we've had our suspicions. She gets in the car with him, but we get our answer uh, in tonight's episode. And I think right? I, I think I was pretty much expecting the turnout that happened, which is that John, against all odds, has taken his wife at face value and is ready to help her stay away from the people who caused this situation, this unorthodox situation, which he thinks is a experimental pregnancy using their DNA that he is the father. Yeah. And, and I wonder whether I really think he's just being naive and her as well, believing this story. And I mean, obviously she wasn't privy to Spark's statement that I'm going to tell her something so fantastic. It'll make the, you know, <laughs> she'll believe that more than she would the truth. Um, well, I think that's the case here. I think, yeah. I think she literally is believing this story that Sparks fed her, even though she can see she can't trust Sparks anymore, I right. think she still is not willing to buy the unlikely scenario of, of alien intervention. And so she's letting herself get sucked into what John believes, even though she still sees Marcus. He just thinks it's a hallucination that she needs to get help for. Yeah, what's with the little head tilt by Marcus this time? I don't know if you <laughs> noticed that. But uh, anyway, yeah, so the Woods family is on the run from ISEA. And and I think we kind of assume it's a futile endeavor. Uh, you know, yes, he says that he turned off Ethan's tracking device. But uh, look, we know what they have at their disposal. Yeah, they're not really hiding in a place that they can't be discovered. And I think they, they have to know that that's going to her father's even just for a day is a risky situation. Right. And she's going there, I, I guess on the one hand, 
to get away and I guess buy some times before they figure out what their next move is. But she also wants to run her own DNA test. So of course she's got, you know, science gear around there and, uh, you know, John's going to adapt it so they can run their own DNA test. Now Sparks and Kern were savvy enough to at least try to track the car with surveillance drones, which appear to be the norm, by the way, in yeah, this time period. Because, right. This is not the first time that's been mentioned. But during the opening scene, they still haven't located the family. Yeah, because they got on a boat at some point, I guess. And, and man, I, you know, one thing that came out really crystal clear tonight is Kern. And look, I don't think any of us have really liked Kern. I mean, Sparks is sort of this character that we're just really not sure whether to like him, whether to believe him, whether to hate him. But Kern, it's pretty clear. Yeah. He wants to know what's the priority of the situation. And you know what he's talking about. Do we terminate them or not? And, and Sparks is noncommittal. Yes. So I think it's really a question of he's committed to the cause, but he's also got connection to Molly. So he is unwilling to give that up. Well, and I think it's also maybe he's, I mean, I agree with you. I think he's clearly got a connection with Molly, but you know, you wonder whether he's in a hundred percent with whatever Yasumoto is actually doing. Right. And maybe that will provide a nice little seed of him being a turncoat later on down the road. But for now, he's trying to be as ruthless as he can be. Right. But it, it, it make no mistake, Yasumoto is in charge of everything. And right? he is not wishy-washy at all. <laughs> well, we really learned that tonight for sure. Sparks tells Yasumoto Molly's resisted attempts to come in on her own. And he tells her, well, then you know what? A more direct approach is going to be needed. And, you know, the opening scene for that aspect ends. Now, the Russian scientists that work for Yasumoto, I know some people have perceived them to almost be comical characters. Yeah, they're a bit stereotypical. But I think what we see out of Yasumoto tonight, I, I think they're understandably concerned. They're a little bit scared of him. Yes, and <laughs> with good reason, as it turns out. They seem worried that their progress isn't enough for Yasumoto. Uh, he comes to the lab, and again, we don't know where this lab is. And, you know, they're afraid they're going to be sent back to Volgograd to die. Yeah, and it yeah. makes me wonder, where did he get these folks? I mean, I guess you have to have people with a certain amount of discretion, and perhaps he's got something over on them where if he sends them back home, maybe they were in trouble back in the in the mother country. <laughs> or it's cold in Volgograd, and they're in Northern <laughs> California where it's nice. So That well, could be, too. <laughs> that could be. But talk about plot points moving forward. I mean, we find out that what they're working on is trying to replicate the meteor substance, and they've been working on it for 10 years and have come so close in their words. Uh, and we obviously get the idea that whatever it is they're working on is dangerous. Yasumoto asks about the healing property. So now obviously we hearken back to when we first meet him and he comes out of that little sleep chamber. Right. So the fact that this has been going on for 10 years, perhaps he does visit them fairly often, but this particular visit is coming on the heels of him having checked his life expectancy and it's down to 102 days. Yeah. So yeah. he's un he's under a time crunch and things are moving forward with Molly. So that kind of explains why he pushes them to show their results in a very dramatic fashion. Right. And, and we're alerted to two areas of danger with this substance. One, you know, skin to skin touch, right. which apparently they have solved that problem. 
because uh, the one guy rubs the orange goo on his uh, hand. And well, then, plus you know, that's what I'm wondering too is that Yasumoto had some yellow goo on him. Absolutely, but he didn't have a mask on. So if this meteor substance is something different from what he was using in his chamber, then you know maybe it's a little bit more advanced or something like that. But but obviously this stuff is is much more dangerous. And who knows how long ago they solved the skin-to-skin problem. Right. And obviously now it seems to be a question of airborne danger, you know, through the respiratory system. And Yasumoto says, tell your partner to remove his mask. And, and, and obviously they're both horrified, although they don't want to show it too much. And, and he says, well, we're not ready. And Yasumoto basically tells him, well, you know what? I'm ready for a test. Take, a, take the mask off. Yeah, he doesn't have time to waste on it. Especially now, when I first saw that scene, I thought, why is he pushing them? He just told you that it's too dangerous to do yeah. that. And they've yeah. made, they've made the skin progress. Can't you be happy with that? Well, no, yeah. Yasumoto has to, has to have complete results fast. Yeah. And it appears as if Anton's going to be okay, but you know, is that supposed to be happening? And then we turn <laughs> and look and, and it, it's hard to tell, you know, whether it was turning black or, or it was blood, but then something Black or, or blood starts dripping from his eyes. and Well, yeah, especially since we talked about last week and, and the parallels will continue with X-Files this week as well in our discussion. But yeah, yeah. you thought maybe it was not just blood, but maybe kind of a black oil substance. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we find out that Molly and John and Ethan are headed to her father's place. And, you know, in, as you said, somewhere in the Pacific Northwest on an island. And, you know, we, we learn a little bit about their relationship, which is strained at best. Her father, Lou Gossett Jr., who's got a little bit of a sci-fi pedigree. I don't know if you remember the film Enemy Mine. Vaguely. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, well, see, you were pretty young then. Uh, but uh, Dennis Quaid was uh, an astronaut or, you know, some sort of oh, space yeah. And he crash lands on this planet, and it's just the two of them. And, and, and Lou Gossett Jr. plays the the alien and the two of them have to work together, even though they're, they're sworn enemies. Well, how and, about, how about this though? I mean, he's another Academy award winner. Yeah. I mean, he's won an Emmy too. I mean, he's won yeah. all kinds of awards. So two, yeah. two Oscar award winners in, in the same show. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating character in, in, in the little bit that we see of him that apparently he's a, was a doctor of some type. We assume a medical doctor. So whether he's a, you know, a, a town general practitioner, we don't know. But we, we also learned that he clearly has a drinking problem. It appears he has a gambling problem. And then certainly he has anger issues. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if this has something to do. I think there is some tension building from her mother's death. Yeah, yeah. And, and we don't know. I mean, it's just kind of an offhand that, you know, her mother clearly is dead. Yeah, so I'm going to keep that on the back burner and, and see if it comes up again. Right, but Molly hasn't been home in six years, and apparently they haven't you know seen each other in six years. Well, that's what makes me wonder. Doesn't it seem like Grandpa has a pretty good relationship with Ethan? I was shocked, and, and obviously the first question that you have to ask is, does he know? Well, does he know? Yes, and, and we'll talk about that, obviously, as time goes by. But I'm just initially... How does he seem to have such a close bond when they haven't seen each other in six years? Yeah. Because it, it hasn't been that long since Ethan's been part of the family. Now, although she, I think she does say, or, or he says that 
if he didn't go to the mainland, oh okay, he'd never see them. Oh, so she, yeah, she hasn't been to her home in six years. Right. Oh, okay. But you know, then right on the heels of that scene, we see Sam in an interrogation room, clearly against her will. I mean, we know again, we know how that was left in the last episode. She has to go to the bathroom and we see her flushing Molly's blood samples. Yeah, it didn't take the guards long to get there, did they? I think they knew she was going to try something, so they said, just give her 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. Well, then it kind of begs the question, if they suspected she, she was going to do something, uh, and the, didn't they search her? <laughs> I mean, if you really think- Check the purse. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, but, the, uh, And it makes me wonder, too, did she get away with it, or, right. or, or are they able to keep the sample? I guess it doesn't matter, because Sparks gets his DNA results later, but- she obviously got caught red-handed regardless. You're right. And and the whole idea that it's critical she not get the information that she seeks, which is the DNA of her baby and obviously the father. And not that we, we ever believe that cover story, but... Um, well, she does. Sam seems to believe it. Yeah. But clearly it's something big. And again, not as if we didn't know that. <laughs> now, the whole... Uh, experiments to replicate the life-sustaining substance have failed and, and time is running out. Yasumoto tells him it's time Molly be taken out of the equation, right? So in other words, if, if she's going to fight us, then we're just going to take her out of, out of play. And then, of course, the question is for Sparks, what about Sam? What do I do with Sam? I've got her here in an interrogation room. And Yasumoto says, well, I'm sure you'll come up with something, I think is what he says exactly. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, at this point, I think we know that he'd be perfectly fine with extreme measures. Yes, but definitely Dr. S or Director Sparks comes up with a more creative solution. Yes, and I think it will be certainly successful. All right, now, back at the house, um, her dad's house, that is, after greeting Ethan. And, and like you said, I mean, I was really shocked at, you know, how warm their relationship was. But, you know, people always say, you know, if you want to know somebody, let your dog uh, yes. <laughs> interact with them. And this dog, you know, goes right up to Ethan, kind of sniffs him. And, and, you know, it's like, oh, okay, hey. And then just moves quickly to Molly and bites her hand. Yeah. It's like he knows and I, I was talking about this during the live tweet, and I said something on Twitter about maybe it's like he smells something that's different in her body chemistry. So, but the, the dog is is definitely someone I think you can't really trust very many people in the show at all, but you can trust the dog. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and and speaking of the person that we trust the least, and that would be uh, Assistant Director Kern. You know, Sparks and Kern now know that the woods are at her dad's. He tells Kern to send in a team, but tell them to keep their distance. And it's almost, and this comes up several times. It's almost like he's so afraid of what Kern's going to do. <laughs> yeah, he's holding them back to a certain extent. Well, because we see Kern in the bar at one point. So they're definitely keeping an eye until they get the go signal. Yeah. Now, the, the scene in Molly's old bedroom, right? She tells Ethan, you know, you're going to have a room of your own while we're here. And he seems pretty excited by it. And she tells him it was my old room. And they're up there looking at the map of the heavens. And she starts telling him the story of Zeus, the Pleiades, and Orion. And, and you found out some really cool information about that. Well, because the natural instinct for podcasters is to, okay, let's look up the Pleiades and Maya and 
Orion and all that. And we could have gone into that. But I think what was much more interesting is that there's a link between the Mayans, uh, you know, Maya, that kind of Maya. Yeah. And it's kind of apocryphal, but the fact that they think that they may have originated from the Pleiades, that their ancestors came from the stars. And it's not necessarily something that is bought historically, but there's an idea out there that the Mayan Mayans think that their ancestors originated in the stars. And I think that you might want to tie that into what's going on with the aliens showing up on earth at this time. Perhaps yeah. they've visited before or something that along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. And Ethan, after Molly leaves the bedroom, you know, Ethan sees this little toy robot. On yeah, the, see, uh, I it's, that's not a robot, though. I, what I, is see, it? I see what you're going for, but that's a toy astronaut. Oh. But it would be fun either way, okay. <laughs> don't you think? <laughs> okay. Well, see, back when I was a kid, the only toys we had were uh, our imagination. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. The, uh, okay. uh, now, he's on the beach with his grandson, Quinn, that is, right? And he's teaching him how to skip stones. And Ethan tries it once. And he misses. And then the music comes in and you're like, oh, here we go. And, and you see him <laughs> and it's like he's making calculations and everything. And then, of course, he throws one that is just the quintessential. You knew skip. that was going to happen. You oh. knew it. It was great. All right. So, so who's the guy that comes up to them on the beach? Well, if you look later at the go signal coming from Sparks, you'll, yeah. see, you'll see Kern talking to that same guy. It's go time. So, yeah. th so this guy is one of Kern's team, just keeping an eye on things and making conversation with Granddad on the beach. Yeah, but see, I, I think what for me comes out of this scene, especially on my rewatch, is that there's this visual recognition between the two of them, and and I don't think you agree with me. I don't. Right? I don't think that's recognition. I think that's just. A guy saying, did you see what this kid just did? Oh, my God. That was crazy. Okay. That was yeah. crazy. So, But you're right. It begs the question, why did this secret agent dude reveal himself in that way? Uh, he's more concerned with Molly and the, and the baby and how much, I don't know how much this Merc knows. Right. <laughs> but, but he wouldn't be interested necessarily in Ethan. So why would he engage them in conversation? It seems strange. But yeah. so well, we'll see. Well but, well, but they are after Ethan, right? I mean, they do... only as leverage, though, right? Right. So, is he maybe keeping an eye on Ethan to see if it's a good opportunity to snatch him? Well, they haven't gotten the ghost signal yet, though. Right. True. True. But you're right. Maybe he's just staying close, yep. <laughs> trying to be unobtrusive. Yep. So, uh, all right. So, anyway, meanwhile, Molly and John are getting the old DNA isolator ready and uh, some some nice soldering technique on John, <laughs> John's part. And uh, she tells him then, well, when the test verifies that you're the father, what's the plan? Well, that's what, yeah, that's what I, he asks. I, I'm sorry, yeah. that's what he says. And she says, well, to have the baby, of course. And I don't know about you, but I was a little surprised that he thought there was any question. Yeah, and my wife had an interesting comment at that point. She said, because John said, you look happy. And my wife said, no, she doesn't. <laughs> but she did, very subtly. I loved the acting in this particular scene with from Halle Berry, because she's like, kind of amazed at her own words and yeah i am happy about this and who could have thought this would be the circumstances under which we would have a child right. so so is she fooled is she buying into what john believes that he's the father because why would they do the dna test if that if that was the case yeah good point it's almost as though she has a seed of doubt 
based on her interaction with Marcus, which John thinks is a hallucination, but maybe she deep down does not believe that. And that's why she's doing the DNA test. Well, do you believe that? I don't know what I believe. I feel like she's tricking herself, but subconsciously there are other reasons for this DNA test. Well, what about him? It's almost as if he needs to be certain as well. And you can certainly understand that. But what is his rationalization to himself as to why Molly is doing this DNA test? Why would she need to do that? Is it just to be sure because of the weird circumstances, perhaps, of the pregnancy? It's kind of like too good to be true. And so they want to verify it. Uh, Maybe that's it. I'm kind of talking myself into that point of view. Yeah. Well, anyway, we see, again, there were a lot of scenes with Molly and her dad. And, and, uh, you know, he says that Ethan seemed to like the beach. And she makes that comment, it's hard to tell what Ethan likes. And I wasn't sure what to make of that. Yeah, it's almost as though she's sharing with her dad the fact that she's not necessarily buying into the emotional reactions that Ethan has to things, uh, him being a robot. Right. But then we've seen too many instances of late where she really does, to me at least, show genuine motherly emotion. She's trying. She's trying. (laughs) Well, although, you know, you saying that that she's trying kind of implies that she's having to force herself. Then I guess I, to me, it it just seems genuine. This is when she's asking him the favor of, can you take Ethan in for supper in town while John and I have some alone time? Which I guess is just about the DNA test, but again, another foolhardy decision on her part. There's a couple of really foolish decisions. One is to flee to their dads, which is too obvious of a hiding place. The second is to let her alcoholic father take her son into town when she knows there might be people looking for them. And the third we'll talk about a little later. (laughs) Right. So, and, And I guess to be quite honest, I'm not sure most mothers would make that decision. So, you know, is there still that reluctance to really bond as his mother? That's right. So now the end of the scene, you know, we see that Yasumoto's apparently built some sort of temporary facility because it looks like, you know, tent like, but with all of this uh, equipment, all this medical equipment in by, and apparently it's nearby Molly's dad's house. Now, I think this might actually be on the ship so they know this is on vasper island so they've by this time they figured out where molly is and they must be setting it up on the ship okay and getting ready to set sail (laughs) okay all right so now we're back in the next scene as we come back from commercial and sparks is grilling sam about concealing molly's pregnancy and we finally see no he's not going to have sam killed right he's got something over on her which is interesting because she thinks she's got it over on sparks yeah she realizes that she's being very brash and saying i'm not talking to you and you're the one that implanted her with an embryo and says he doesn't have a leg to stand on because as soon as this comes out you know it's gonna be all bets off of course again she's bought the cover story hook line and sinker right and i i mean certainly it's dramatic irony in that you know she has no idea what's going on behind the scenes with Yasumoto and Sparks and Kern. Right. So when she thinks she has the upper hand, obviously we're sitting there thinking like stupid girl. (laughs) But I I love that she at least puts up a fight before Sparks sort of brings her down to earth. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. And we find out that uh, what he's got over her is this, the fact that uh, 
her brother who was 19 and apparently has mental issues, shot and killed his roommate, but that she pulled some strings, got it covered up, got him into you know a, mil, uh, a minimum security f- medical facility, and basically Sparks is telling her that, uh, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to do anything. I'm just letting you know. Oh, and by the way, here's my iPad and you can talk to your brother. <laughs> That's right. Well, he even says, you know, something could happen to your brother. Pitfalls seen and unseen may befall him. So, yeah, no, no uncertain terms. And she thought that she had kept that secret all these years. And how long has he been holding on to this little nugget, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, um, because, you know, it's funny. I don't know prior to what's been going on in the last few days, why would he have any reason yeah. to get anything? But it brings up that question about how far is Sparks willing to go? All right. So at this point, he's not willing to have her killed, but he's certainly willing to use her brother as a bargaining chip. Well, especially since, as you mentioned last podcast, she's going to be the pawn now. Yeah. So he needs to hold this over on her so he can use her to get things out of Molly. At this point, they don't have Molly in custody. Perhaps he's thinking more long-term after they get her into custody, or maybe he's just thinking she can help with that. But definitely, I think we're going to see some use of Sam, some blackmail of Sam. Yeah. Now, when we get to the mission and we're on site with Gordon Kern at the helm, was I reading too much in, you know, was he ordered to basically keep the body count down? I'm not sure if it was the body count. He was just basically saying, you know, keep it clean and, and simple and direct. Yeah. But yeah, he could have been, you know, because like we said, Director Sparks is not necessarily as fully on board in a ruthless manner as Kern and Yasumoto. Yeah. All right. Now, I'm going to let you kind of handle what, what do you think about the scene where John has fixed the DNA sampler, draws Molly's blood, and then she sees Marcus? Yeah. So a couple of different times, and I think this might also show up in our dark matter chatter. The fact that this, the circles always show up at times of stress. Now this time it's not the circles, but it's Marcus that shows up. But the weird part of it is the fact that, well, you mentioned the fact that he cocks his head to one side, like a lizard, but uh, also he doesn't echo her words. He doesn't pull out the, it's okay. Instead he says, don't let me go. Now, is this prophetic in, in the fact that she's going to get captured and they're pulling out the laser and don't let me go has something to do with what's inside her? Or is it part of the blood test, like pulling out blood? Don't let me go. I mean, you know, <laughs> is there anything to just John pulling some blood? Because remember last time Sam drew blood for a DNA test, the circle showed up on her arm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's very admirable that... Molly does tell John that she's seeing Marcus right now. And he just tells her that it's a hallucination. And once this is all over, we'll get you the help you need. And he's not putting any further meaning behind her seeing Marcus. Of course, we suspect there's much more to it. But keep in mind, these characters don't know anything about anything to do with aliens other than the fact that Molly was in space. Yeah. So, all right. Now you mentioned why on earth would Molly let her father take Ethan to supposedly dinner. I guess it was pretty light outside. That's why I thought maybe it was lunch, but uh, (laughs) I think she said supper, but whatever. But now we know a hundred percent what the problem is with her relationship with her father. I mean, the guy is a mess. 
Um, he takes his grandson out to lunch. Obviously, this guy comes up to him and is saying, look, we've got some easy marks that we can take their money through some sort of games of chance that are either already rigged or you know, <laughs> we, we just know the system better than they do. And he puts them off at first. He says, no, no, I promised my daughter I'd have him back in time for bed. But I guess the lore was just too much. Well, specifically, if he hadn't just seen Ethan skip the stone seven times, right? I think it wouldn't have occurred to him. But also, he, he was trying to figure out, why are Molly and John and Ethan showing up on my doorstep for a day with ah. one with one duffel bag between the three of them? Secrets again. And he's going at it the wrong way, of course. He wants to know what, what's going on with Ethan's parents. And Ethan genuinely doesn't know anything about why they ran off. He doesn't know anything about Sparks or any of that stuff. Right. But he's trying to get at it. But Ethan does let him know that there are secrets uh, amongst his parents, but he's not sure what. And the fact that they're arguing, too, comes up. Uh, and as for the um, easy marks, I think that his friend mentioned squid crews. So it might, yeah. must be Navy guys that come in all the time and they can make some easy bets off of them. But I didn't actually see any Navy guys in that bar, so I'm not sure. Right. But again, you know, I think the most important thing that comes out of that scene, though, is when, when did the grandfather, was it when they were talking about secrets and, and he says nobody's perfect? You know, when does he first say nobody's perfect? He says everybody has secrets, nobody's perfect. Right. Okay, so then, you know, they're playing the game of chance and obviously Ethan wins and he's got all this money. And then the grandfather decides he wants to, you know, double or nothing. <laughs> yeah, he should have kept the money after Ethan did it the one time. Right, and then Ethan... I think we knew he deliberately missed. Well, he looks around the room. He right. gets a feel for the sentiment. Some guy is looking kind of squinty-eyed at him at one table. And he remembers what his grandfather just said. And nobody's perfect. And I have to be more human. Right. And so he misses. I mean, you could say it's purely from his programming. Right. Now, you know what I really liked about what the writers did in this scene? What? Do you remember what the bet was, right? That he could do it three times in a row. Right. I think uh, you'd see a lot of shows, they'd have him make the first two. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then miss. Good point. And I like the fact that they just had him miss right away. Yep. And uh, as soon as uh, they walk out, Grand Grandpa just kind of takes him and says, let's get out of here. Oh, uh, they, man. They do take a moment to show us that Kern was sitting there the whole time watching them do that uh, whole scene. But more interestingly grandpa's pissed and is not afraid to show it to ethan which he shares later with john eh, I, I didn't think he would react that way he i just figured he's a robot he, he won't care if i yell at him not like a real kid you know yeah well you know so they they drive home in grandpa's pickup truck and he's got to stop and open a gate which you know at first doesn't seem to be anything out of the ordinary until he says that he left it open for a reason and, you know, obviously we know why it was closed. And those guys, man, were they stealthy. Yep. They closed it just so he would get out and they could have their opportunity to grab Ethan. Right. And he comes back, sees he's gone. The toy astronaut is on the seat. Yep. And you got some splaining to do, Grandpa. <laughs> yep. And he tries his best to put it on them. Don't blame this on me. You're the ones keeping secrets. Um, Sorry, Quinn. That doesn't quite cut it. <laughs> well, you know... Uh, I, I know that's a valid reaction, but on the other hand, you didn't tell me what we we're in the middle of. So, I mean, on the one hand, I can see his point. I mean, clearly he was in the wrong, no question. But 
had he known they were being pursued by ISEA and Yasumoto Corporation, would he have done the same thing? Maybe. Maybe well, he's that out of control. Well, also because he, again, probably like much of the public, does not see Ethan as a person. True. And we have to keep an eye on it. Just because John thinks of him as his son and just because Molly's coming around doesn't mean people at large. We see it later with the cop. But Quinn used him for the bet because he doesn't think of him as a regular child. He would never do that to a r- real child, perhaps. We have to guess. I mean, he, he, his character does have flaws, but I think he only did the whole betting thing because his grandson is a robot and he sees him clearly as nothing more than that. Okay. And and obviously we get our answer from the beginning when we didn't know whether he knew or not. Yeah, interesting uh, that they held on to that until <laughs> until this dramatic moment. We didn't know that Quinn knew he was a robot. But see, again, I think that's good writing. I mean, it is. you know, and, and for people that talk about the pace being too slow, I mean, to me, that's part of the pace. And and you know, I don't have to have everything right up front. And I, I'm surprised because most fans of this kind of material are like us. We can be patient. Yep. We want to be a witness to a thought-provoking storyline. Exactly. But Molly acknowledges, finally, that Sparks could be... Could be out there. <laughs> could be out there and at the, is at the heart of this. Well, now, now, John just thinks that Ethan ran off as part of his programming, acting like a real child. Because Grandpa yelled at him. Right. Not the first time we've seen John be pretty naive about things. Well, especially since now here's decision number three. I talked about three bad decisions. The third one is that John and Molly separate to look for Ethan right after Molly just brought up that Sparks could be looking for them. That boggles my mind. Okay. Uh, Well, the men have Ethan and you see him and I was really touched when you hear him cry out for his mother. Yeah, looking up at the sky, no less. Yeah, well, you know, then we're going to go back to our, you know, Pleiades story. Exactly. <laughs> and, and all of that. But the soldiers, so what do they do? Do they, I'm assuming they didn't power him down, but rather short-circuited him. Yeah, they could have just taken out the batteries. They had the door open. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, and of course, we don't know how much they know about how he works, but, uh, you know, who knows? John he wants to certainly go search for him, but he wants a search and rescue team brought out and, and they do get one out there. But when the officer in charge finds out that we're searching for a humanic, <laughs> he says, I'm not going to risk my men and dogs for a machine. Lots of cliff drop offs, lots right. of dangerous terrain. And you can understand it. It's just, again, his lack of you know, I don't know. Uh, you know Restraint. <laughs> yes, in, in the way he worded his response to John. That's oh, which, re- uh, I thought you meant John's restraint. You meant the fact that he was being such a jerk about it. Yeah, and then the to, cop was right, and you know, finally the rust comment sets John over the edge, and he slugs him. And and so you wonder, so why did John have to bring that up? Well, there was no scent for the dogs to follow, and if there had been a scent, I don't know if John would brought it up. Have brought right. it up. But I guess what surprised me is like, just give them a shirt, give them something. Don't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not as if we haven't seen uh, search dogs be unable to. Yeah. At least then you'd have the manpower looking for them. Right. But no. And, and the fact that John hits the guy, I mean, it's just another example. God damn it, John, I want to say is like, quit being so hot headed and defensive about your creation. He's such a sensitive guy, but not about. When it comes to Humanix, he is 
he wants everyone to be on board with his view of androids can be just like people. Yeah. Now, I'm not willing to call it a sci-fi trope per se, but, you know, Molly finding Ethan in the clearing in the woods. <laughs> and the the spotlights come down from above. Well, <laughs> well I was okay with that. I mean, oh, okay. again, if the if the intent is sort of a, you know, an homage to... Yeah, the fact that it looked like an alien abduction scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, she was truly distraught. And, and again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, that I, that I don't think she's faking. I don't think she's forcing any of this. I think she's genuinely bonding. And, and I wonder, does it have anything to do with the fact that she's found out she's pregnant? Which, on the mm. one hand, you might think it would have the opposite effect, that she knew she was going to have her own child, so I don't need to bond with Ethan anymore. Oh, that could be. There could be some... Um deepening of emotions and maternal instincts, that sort of thing. Yeah. So what is the trope then? Because the fact that they had the search and rescue team that John was worried about, and then Molly just, bam, finds him just like that. Yeah. And just finds <laughs> finds him in a clearing in the middle. You know, why they just leave him out in the open? Where... Well, I think what you're looking at here is a bait scenario. They had Ethan out in the clearing so that Molly would come out. And oh, good point. And maybe she would be with John, maybe not, but that's how they're able to capture her. All right, so maybe the writers know what they're doing after. <laughs> All right, unlike her husband, John. Yep. All right, so we find the two of them, John and Molly's dad, in jail. And, and again, it's like, he, he it's all, almost he can't understand why he's in jail. And, you know. Why is Quinn in jail, by the way? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good question. Drunk, but, drunk tank? I don't know. Uh, maybe, but, but... He only uh, had one one hit, as he said. You know, uh, well, you know what? You slugged a police officer. Well, can <laughs> I at least have my phone? I don't know. I'll ask the boss. He's in a very giving mood today. <laughs> yeah, what do you think this is, La Quinta? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, exactly. All right, but then we're cut to the scene with Kern's team. They've got Molly in the facility, operating table. And I don't know about you, but the protective gear did not look like standard surgical yeah, gear, gear. If, they, if they were going for sterility, like in an operating room, uh, they certainly were done up to the teeth, which actually brought up a nice little contrast when Yasumoto comes in the doorway and has absolutely nothing on. Right. But he, I guess he's far enough away from the action. Yeah, well, you know, I wondered that. And then I wondered whether he, it, it's something to do with the fact that he knows he only has 105 days or whatever it is. Uh, left and you know he now knows what the progress is on the meteor substance and, and you know he just doesn't I care. just don't I'm, care yeah <laughs> you know so so either way um, but here's and, and again I thought all right I'm gonna throw this out there and then Michael either you know rein me in or support <laughs> me but she's there on the table clearly drugged and the room starts shaking she reaches out and that syringe jumps into her hand oh yeah okay right telekinetic power the circles show up right okay. on her abdomen at that point and it starts shaking you can't deny even if you deny the fact that the syringe came to her because it could you could say okay it rolled towards her because of the shaking but the shaking still happened right the shaking of the table was clearly coming from somewhere but yeah what a cool scene she's able to of course stabbing a guy with a syringe unless there was some kind of Maybe there was a sedative in there and knocked him out. But anyway, <laughs> it always amazes me how quickly they get knocked out. She tries to escape uh, 
ineffectually, of course, because there's too many doors and most of them won't open. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so she stumbles out and I think we knew she was not going to get awake, particularly in her condition, but she opens a door and, you know, she goes right into the operating room again <laughs> that's been set up for her. Oops. <laughs> yep. Um, and then the next scene we see Kern and Sparks and they're at Molly's dad's house. And again, it's just another one of those scenes where that, that conflict that seems to be brewing between Sparks and Kern, it's almost as if Kern has been told by higher ups to keep an eye on Sparks. Oh, maybe, you know, and that once he's out of the picture, you're going to be in charge or something like that. But, but it's almost as if, He's there to keep Sparks in control. Yeah. One of my favorite lines from the episode after Sparks is kind of staring at the DNA results and hasn't quite pushed the button yet. I probably does not want Kern to see the results maybe, but Sparks says we're done here. And Kern says, that's funny. It feels like we're just starting. Yeah. And it almost speaks to the show itself actually. Well, yeah. Uh, but then, I mean, the obvious question is, why does he not want Kern to know the results? Yeah, yeah. That's definitely a, a good question. Why is he waiting for him to leave? Yeah. So, And, we, and of course, we don't get to see the results. He just kind of very suspensefully <laughs> puts, hits the button and then cuts away. And that's actually two very unsatisfying resolutions for this episode. This is the first. And the next comes in the closing scene where you're just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's how you're going to leave it? <laughs> well, and, and, you know, we find out, we do get the answer, as you mentioned before. And, uh, you know, this is a little bordering, a little bit on tropish. You know, heck, the, most recently, the whole idea of the ship offshore being used as some sort of a holding facility or whatever. I mean, that was certainly a big part of Arrow. Um, and now on the last ship on TNT. Yes. But either way, like you said, as the episode ends... The doctor begins using that surgical laser and, and we're left to wonder to what end. Yeah. It's like, oh man, they left us hanging in more than one way this time. Right. So, I mean, is it simply exploratory? Are they going to perform some sort of an extraction of the well, fetus? And that's what Yasumoto indicates earlier in the episode. Get that thing out of her and it's time to, it, that's when he's being more, direct about telling sparks that maybe they need to get rid of take her out of the equation altogether right i think yeah. those those are his words and get this this being out of her whatever it is so okay. they're yeah they're definitely not waiting for it to be carried to term now whether or not they'll be successful in extracting it we'll have to wait and see yeah so well we're left with a lot of questions that's for sure uh you know certainly one question we don't have is uh yasamoto and and certainly he's portrayed as this ruthless guy willing to do anything for his own gain i don't think there's any question about that we just don't know i mean well, we we know that he wants to prolong his own life so it's i guess it's not correct to say we don't know what he wants well the question i guess about yasamoto is is he really that selfish is this how we're supposed to perceive him as a self-serving megalomaniac who has a lot of money yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this whole idea about the meteor replication project connected to his life expectancy, I would say yes, based on the orange goo, right? And it's been going on for 10 years. So has he known about his uh, fatal condition, whatever it is, for that long? Yeah. That's a long time to be having that prognosis. Yeah. Now, 
Uh, origins of Molly's pregnancy, you know, I, I think the question is, what do Sparks and Yasumoto know? Do they know the same the same thing. So in other words, I guess on the one hand, I might think that Yasumoto knows more than Sparks, but I'm not sure about that. Yeah, that's what we've been saying, that Sparks has been in the dark quite a bit. Uh, but now we might have to start questioning that as well. But also the big one, of course, is whose side is Sparks on? Is his friendship of Molly going to create complications with his loyalty to Yasumoto or the other way around or neither? Yeah, true. Um, well, I, I think we know that John and Molly completed the DNA test. We just don't know the result. And and based on the way the show has been moving, because obviously we think the uh, plot has been moving along at a fine pace, I would imagine that one of the first things we'll see in next week's episode is the result of the DNA test. <laughs> I hope uh, so. Yeah. And what is the DNA of the baby? What's it going to show? Are we going to have yeah. something like in Falling Skies where... They can see that there's some alien element to the DNA, as Dr. Kadar noticed with Alexis in that in that show. Or is it just going to show that John's not the father? Like, right. how, how uh, definite is it going to be? Yeah. Now, you know, obviously, as we said there at the end, uh, are they planning to terminate her pregnancy, take a look, or take what's inside of her? And I think the key qu- part of that question is, are they planning on it? <laughs> are they trying as opposed to whether they will actually succeed because they right. might, they might come back and have them, you know, have her start pulling out some telekinetic powers or who knows what. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the questions I had was whether or not Quinn's drinking led to Molly's mother's death. And, you know, I mean, I still have that question. I'm just not sure whether it's really valid or not valid, whether it's really uh uh, critical to the storyline. And I think I'm, it will be, I think there's at least it's going to be backstory at the very least, but I think it's, not necessarily it led to his mother's death, but as a result of Quinn's wife dying. So I think it's an important character detail. I don't think it's necessarily going to be crucial to the storyline in general, though. Okay. So certainly two major points that, I, you know, personally I need to see addressed in this next episode. The guy with the uh, surgical laser, what's he doing? And what's the result of the DNA test? So hopefully we'll get those answers next week and hopefully in the uh, opening scene or at least in act two. Yep. So, but in the meantime, this is our chance to maybe answer a couple of those questions as we make our predictions. And I'll start off this week, Dave, with something since we just finished talking about it. I have a prediction about how that laser is going to end up. Uh, I mentioned a possibility would be that she would pull out some kind of telekinetic powers, but I don't think that's what's going to happen. I do think that the laser incision is not going to be successful. So I think either one of two things is going to happen. One is that the incision will seal itself up. Oh, nice. (laughs) Kind of self-healing kind of thing. Or something is going to happen that Molly will be able to affect an escape. It won't be maybe a, a telekinetic thing. But all hell is going to break loose, and they are not going to see any kind of results from that incision other than the complete ending of that scenario. But the problem, the only problem I have with that prediction, the second version of that prediction, is that they are on a ship. Where the heck is she going to go? Well, you know, know, I guess what I started thinking about as you were just talking is that, you know, this entity inside her, perhaps it, it has some self-preservation mode yeah that it knows that 
you know, they're coming after it and, and it's going to protect not only itself, but her as well. Oh, nice. I like it. Yeah. So I'm going to go out on a limb and just stick with the first half of that, which is the self-healing incision. <laughs> all right. All right. Now, my prediction, I, I kind of alluded to it a few minutes ago, is that I think Kern has been placed there and that we're going to see Sparks taken out of the equation. And I'm going to go really bold and say that Sparks is going to die. Okay. I actually thought you were going to say what I was suggesting earlier with that he would be a turncoat. Yeah. No, I think he's going to be, I think we're going to see he's going to be leaning a little too far to Molly's uh, side and that Kern's going to get the okay to take him out. That would be cool. I would be okay with that as much as I enjoy that actor. <laughs> well, I'd be and, okay and, with that. Right. And the reason I say, you know, I think one of the reasons I feel semi-confident in making that prediction is that it is a at this point a one-off series 13 episodes so you you can get away with killing off a major character and i'm not saying it's going to happen next week but i think we're going to see it sooner rather than later all right i like it (laughs) and we didn't get quite as many predictions as we did last week but let's go ahead and start our dark matter chatter segment And we're going to start off with an unusual one, Dave. You know, and I was as surprised as anyone, that we received an audio feedback from my mother. (laughs) And I'm going to let her speak because I think, uh, although the theory is kind of crackpot, I just love some of the details of this call. So take a listen to my mom calling in her audio feedback for Extant. Hi, this is... Michael's mom, and I'm a great fan of both the Extant program and the podcast people. One thing I hope you're you're going to address is what you think about the two Russian guys with the yellow slimy goo, and what does that all mean? Uh, One of the things that I didn't like about that was it seemed like they were almost presenting those guys like the Russian guys on Saturday Night Live, it seemed like a uh, kind of an old Cold War view of Russians. And I thought they could have done a better job than that. I also brought out the Japanese fellow, who can't remember his name, uh, his ruthlessness, obviously. However, otherwise, I really like him as a character. In fact, I find him quite attractive. And I'm hoping that when we find out about what's going on, that he really is looking out for everybody's best interest in some way. Also, Molly's boss, who isn't quite as attractive, but he just seems to be a very well-intentioned guy, too, rather than an evil villain. So I'm hoping that they have a good reason for what they're trying to do. If the Japanese fellow and Molly's boss really do have people's best interest in heart and do seem to be well-intentioned and think they're doing doing what's best. I don't know why they can't bring Sam and Molly, and particular Molly, because she is very personally affected, into their secret of why they're going about doing these things. Both these women are intelligent, professional people who are used to probably have secret clearances and everything, and I would think they could bring them in on the show and and include them in on the secret. Let's see. I think that's all I have to say. So, bye, Michael. 
All right. My mom is macking on Yasumoto, Dave. I thought yeah. that was hilarious. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I, she has a point. And, you know, I'm not going to say anything bad because I don't want you to take reprisals against me when we go back to work. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I think that's certainly valid. Yeah, it could be. And I think there's, it, I, I'm willing to put a little bit more behind this theory because she had just called me like last week saying that she thought that perhaps John was also a robot. And I was laughing so hard during that phone call. <laughs> that i was just so happy that this theory was at least on more solid ground so i like it mom <laughs> all right all right now we did hear from ode to spot who says to mike's i think comment that the velveteen rabbit book could have easily been replaced with pinocchio i'm not so sure about that i think that the scarlet fever may be foreshadowing of a plague virus or something similar that will threaten humans with extinction paving the way for humanics to keep humanity extant <laughs> Is that the proper use of the word? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Also, I'm conflicted regarding the parents' reactions to Ethan at school. I believe I'd be very cautious of an android like Ethan interacting with my children at the school, but at the same time, I was on Data's side in Star Trek Next Generation episode Measure of a Man when a scientist claimed he was property of Starfleet rather than a self-aware being. What makes me believe Ethan's any different from Data? Ethan is still young and learning. I caught frogs, snakes, and salamander as a kid. And, you know, you mentioned that, I think, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, when I was thinking that he was perhaps a little more evil than, we, than, than I should have thought. I even shot a few crows with my BB gun. I did feel bad about doing that. I guess the question is, would Ethan feel bad about doing something wrong? Finally, did anybody else hum the A-team theme while Ethan was building the bird trap? <laughs> Or MacGyver. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. But I think you're really spot on about basically Ethan would have to be reprimanded and told that he should feel bad. And, and apparently that's what John has been doing all along. Yeah, I'm coming more and more into the camp that they're trying to fool us into thinking Ethan is evil. And really, he's just a misunderstood android. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we hear from Alex from the UK, who says, I have more questions now. Firstly, is that orange substance from this meteor similar to what Yasumoto was taking a nap in when we first saw him? Yes, I believe that's the case, Alex. Although, no, because he was breathing that stuff. I, it must be some kind of version of the meteor substance, right, Dave? Yeah, I think so. And what kind of effects does it have if it can make you bleed to death from the eyes? Yasumoto is obviously keen on taking this baby. When we saw Marcus again in this episode, he said, don't let me go. Was that in reference to the baby being taken? And I guess, Alex, you heard some of our discussion on that score. Is Marcus the voice of the child? That's what I'm wondering, too. Is, yeah. is, is he a manifestation of what's inside Molly? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really valid, valid yeah. point. And also, once Molly was dosed with drugs and everything shook, noticed she wasn't convulsing or anything. Does she or the child have unspoken psionic powers? And Alex is obviously thinking along the lines we are. Ethan learns very fast. He was shocked in his battery cell place. Will this have larger consequences than just a way of knocking him out? I mean, uh, like, like he's saying, will it change his personality to be electroshocked that way? Okay. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, it almost begs the question, you know, does he have like some sort of a hard drive in him? Yeah that john regularly backs up 
Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good point. That could be a method of curing him. But Alex says, I mean, a lot of times if you force shut down a regular computer, it causes damage in the hardware. So that's what he's referring to. Will this have a lasting effects or damages on Ethan? And finally, you guys were right. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean, finally, we were right? <laughs> no, finally in his email. Oh, okay. You, <laughs> you guys were right. Sam will be a pawn. And yeah, I think you're right, Alex. All right. Now, uh, Geza sent us in a response. It says, when Molly was captured and sedated, I thought that she moved the table with a syringe by using telekinetic powers. Yep. Yep. It really seemed that way at first, but after I saw that she's on a ship, I attributed that to the ship. Its engine started or something like that, or maybe there was a rough sea. Uh, oh, maybe. Yeah, I don't think so, because why, you know, these people are in charge. They're not running from anybody. So why would they need to have the, the engine suddenly start up right before the surgeries to begin? Yeah, that would be too coincidental. I think we're definitely looking at some kind of telekinesis. Yes. Of course, doing high-precision surgery in such an unstable environment would be just as silly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. okay. All right, I'm starting to buy your theory that Director Sparks is in the dark. He checked Molly's DNA results as if he did not know what they show. He's way too conflicted to the degree that I think he's not entirely bad. Absolutely. Yep. Finally, we get an answer as to why Yasumoto is so interested in Molly's offspring. Somehow it holds a key to recreating orange goo, which prolongs Yasumoto's <laughs> life. Yeah, I don't, it might do something similar to the goo. I don't think it's actually directly tied to the goo. Uh, but yeah, well, we do have to start asking the question, what is the goo and where did they find this stuff that it's been around for 10 years? But that's, I guess, some other part of the space part of this plot line. Yeah, I so. mean, is it a meteor that fell to Earth? Or yeah. is, is it a meteor that they recovered somewhere in space i mean obviously we've been to the moon before so yeah maybe it's part of uh katie's mission maybe it's part of something yeah. else that happened earlier yeah well christopher bork wrote to us again and he says first how much is ethan learning to be more human by watching the poor behavior around him and learning what not to do by our mistakes than the opposite john believes he learns by being a reflection of input but could ethan actually be going beyond that and learning more from our mistakes than anything? Ah, that could be. Learning to be more human by show, showing humanity's foibles, maybe. Yeah. But Christopher noted on Twitter after a comment showed up that no one on this show can be trusted, that Ethan might be the only one I do trust right now. He's the one person that may be exactly who he appears to be. I think you may be right, Christopher. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And case in point for Christopher is the rings game in the bar. At first, Ethan was complicit, but at some point he realized it was considered unusual human behavior and also that he was being used by his grandfather, neither of which he wanted. So he intentionally missed. Yep, I definitely agree with you there. And Sparks has also been exposed as quite dark. His manipulation of Dr. Barton was information he had held on to for a long time to use just when he needed it. He's been playing everyone from the start. How much are his motivations selfish regarding the death of his daughter, and how much are they out of loyalty to Yasumoto? Right. Now, you, you mentioned that, that, that you think it's information he's held on to a long, for a long time. I'm, I'm not convinced of that. I mean, I, I can see it. Um, but the other thing is, again, to say he's dark, to, to me, holding this over her head is the humane option uh -huh. as opposed to what Yasumoto was, was kind of implying. Exactly. The alternatives are much worse. Yes. 
but Christopher likes to share with us his predictions, and he has one this week. I'm convinced that the circles appear on Molly at times of perceived threat to protect Molly and perhaps the baby. Every time they've shown up, Molly has been in some form of stress or fear. Even the DNA test hurt a bit. Just too bad she picked the wrong door in her attempted escape. I believe whoever is the source of the circles has created a bond and connection between Molly and the baby that can't be broken if they are separated. And yeah, the question is, does Molly have these powers or does the thing inside her have the powers? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. And will she develop powers if through some sort of symbiotic relationship? Yeah. Good point. All right. Well, lastly, we got an audio feedback from Brad, so we'll go ahead and take a listen. Hi, this is Brad in Chicago calling about the X-Dance podcast uh, with Dave and Mike. So I have a, a crackpot theory that Marcus is actually the one trying to reanimate himself inside Molly. So Marcus, as we know, is dead, and he, uh, via some alien technology, is trying to be reborn. And I think, obviously, the theme is all about revival and, and being reborn and not uh, the opposite of extinction. So maybe it's the non-extinction of the human race instead of an alien race. Okay. Well, first of all, Brad called it uh, Extant Podcast with Dave and Mike. Um let me correct you there, Brad. But anyway, yeah, the theory that Marcus himself might be trying to reanimate himself, not as an alien, but actually using alien technology, I guess Brad's implying that Marcus is a spirit trying to do this. I'm not sure, but kind of off the beaten path there. Yeah, I'm into reanimation. I like it. <laughs> it could be, but thanks very much, Brad, for, for giving us that comment. And Always enjoy the audio ones. I don't know, something about getting audio feedback. I, I like it, letting the listeners speak for themselves. Yeah. But thank you to everyone who contributed to our Dark Matter Chatter segment this week. But that's it for this edition of the Dark Matter Extant podcast. Keep up with show news and fan interaction on Twitter by following us at Dark Matter GSM, as well as other Golden Spiral Media podcasts by following GSM Podcasts. And Mike and I will be back next week with our discussion of episode five of Extant entitled... What on earth is wrong? <laughs> In the meantime, head on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback to share your thoughts. You can write us a message, record a comment using your computer's microphone, or call 304-837-2278. Just like my mom did. But if you've enjoyed this episode of Dark Matter, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes, and we'll talk to you next weekend.